hello again, double teamed fam. This is Cami, and of course, Nikki is here to direct the conversation. But today we have another special guest joining us, Danica Mitchell. I'll go ahead and let her say all of her credentials, but we're super excited to have you here today. And yeah. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Hey, I'm super excited to be here. I am an LCSW and an ASEC certified sex therapist. So we've had lunch with her before. I guess you can call it dinner. Anyways, we had a ton of questions and we're really excited to record this episode because, well, we love talking about sex. We pulled some questions also from our Reddit posts because I did reach out to, I think it was the swingers and the non-monogamous... No, it's not monogamous and polyamory subreddits. See if they had some questions. And of course, you know, with a sex therapist, everyone's always got questions. So we'll kind of just dive right in. I wanted to start off with one that I know we discussed initially and one that I thought is very important to touch on just because, you know, when we think about sex, especially, everyone's got a different definition of it. So what is something about sex that everyone gets wrong or misses the mark on? Yeah, so I think, and we kind of talked about this earlier, that a lot of people oversimplify sex. They have a certain number of acts in their heads, where whether it's manual, oral, penetrative sex, and that's kind of all they associate with sex. And a lot of the work that I do is actually really expanding on that and getting people to approach sex as more of like an erotic life and experience. So whether any sexual touching is happening or not, if there's an erotic experience that people are enjoying, it should be counting as a part of your sex life. No, I agree with that. And I actually had thought about this the other day, (laughs) which funny story. So I was at like a sex party and there was a dom there that tied me up and was using all these various like spanking tools on me and these claws. And there was no penetration at all. But I remember thinking in that moment, I was like, you know, like this isn't sex, but this is an experience that to me is like sexual. It's like fulfilling. It's exciting to me. Like I felt pleased. And I think a lot of times, especially in, you know, marriages and long term, once you kind of start kind of falling into, you know, some of those lulls and whatnot, people forget that sex can mean a variety of things. And so... I don't know. I mean, what do you usually recommend to like, say a couple comes in and they're like, our sex life sucks. We need to fix this. What is the initial thing that you talk to them about in terms of their sex life? How how does that conversation start? Yeah. So actually one of the things that I do a lot is actually taking penetration and most of those sex acts off the table. Um, A lot of the times when people are coming into therapy, they might not have had penetrative sex in a long time anyway, so it's usually not too big of an ask. But then we start almost like when you're learning about sex and you're like a teenager and you're rounding the bases, we actually start back there. So we'll start with sensual touching, maybe depending on where they are, even just platonic touching, like a massage, exploring the body, learning some mindfulness techniques also to really bring people into their physical body because a lot of the time sex can come with anxiety and pressure and people get really in their heads and so it's about stopping that so that you actually feel what's happening and then making it spicy. I spend a lot of time with people exploring teasing. So no, no sexual touch, no genitals, no breasts, no butt, just all the other parts kind of like with that Dom experience of like, how do you change sensations? How do you make it Mm -hmm. softer, harder, play with smells, play with senses and kind of get that experience going. And then we add in one by one, each more kind of level of sex. I mean, we had 
hand jobs, maybe we add oral, maybe eventually we get to penetration, but it's always just kind of sitting in each space and exploring and feeling and enjoying every part before we ever tack on more things. And it's also fun because if we were a teenager, we probably loved dry humping. Yeah. Like, why did we stop dry humping? You're right. Oh I had never God. thought of that. It was so good. <laughs> like, the thrill of like, your genitals touching but not touching because it's like through clothes like I remember as a teenager you like you know you want to rub up on someone because you want to feel it but then yeah as you get older I guess when you have access to sex you forget doing things like that I never thought of that yeah. so I, I actually really enjoy that yeah. the only thing I recommend is don't lace as usually <laughs> for women on the lace is not good it's pretty not fun to touch through I agree no definitely have, scratchy I'll ask this have any of you ever came from rubbing up on a dude's leg? That's pretty close. <laughs> okay, actually, I've done that before, and I actually really liked it. So I was... Well, <laughs> this is going to be a really TMI story. I was on an airplane once, and there was a guy on the road that I was. It was like three seats. There was an empty seat between us. He was really hot. And I remember I was like really horny too that day. I was like, oh my God. I'm like, he's so hot. So what I did was like I crossed my legs and I put like a book in between my <laughs> legs, like up against my area. And like eventually I came just at like the thought of like with a little bit of pressure and at the thought of things I wanted to do with him. Yeah, that happened. So very interesting. And he yeah. never knew. <laughs> no, he never knew. I don't think he could tell at all because you really can't tell, you know. Like, no, not for women. Yeah, because we don't have like, you know, guys release ejaculation. And I will say one time in Vegas, and I tell people this story all the time and everyone's so wowed by it, but I was at a club and I sat on a speaker <laughs> until I came. Oh, Jesus Christ. Honestly, we've been like in one of those like real fast cars with the engines. Like they sound obnoxious. Yes. The vibrations are good. Yeah, they are. No kidding. Yes. Now, when you've proposed like these ideas to couples, have you noticed any that have like particularly worked really well for people? Yeah, I think the people that are just really okay with the process. One of the things too, and this is where people tend to get a little sticky, is especially in long-term relationships, People really have this idea of spont spontaneity, spontaneity. Spontaneity. <laughs> I can yeah, understand that word. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, uh, we understand what you're saying. <laughs> but one of the things that you know, especially in adult life, like we have to make time for intimacy and sex. Yeah. And we probably were doing that when we were dating because we were going out and getting ready and and planning to have sex later in the evening, likely. Right. Um, but it felt spontaneous because maybe it wouldn't happen or we didn't know what was where the relationship stood at that point. But right. then when it's consistent and you know it can happen, people really don't like to actually plan for sex. Yeah. So sometimes when I'm assigning things, people struggle with the scheduled nature of like, hey, you have the homework. Like, I'm telling you, you're going to go on a date. You're going to do these things. You're going to touch in these ways. So once people kind of accept that, like, it's okay to plan and make time for sex and intimacy, that really helps people. And they're like, oh, okay, this is normal. Because also in certain phases of life, you just have to. <laughs> you no, have I a agree. bunch of kids that are young, you're going to have a window of opportunity. Yeah. And you can't feel bogged down by the fact that like, this is your time to be intimate. Yeah. No, I agree with that completely. Because like, when I look at my marriage, for example, we, you know, obviously we're non-monogamous, we go on dates with other people, you know, we have very busy social lives and, you know, work and all this stuff. So I go on dates to meet guys and he goes, you know, over to hang out with his girlfriend. And so it's like, we make time for those people. And that's where that, you know, kind of what you're saying, that spontaneity of, you know, where it might end up in sex. And so like, that's exciting. But then like in our sex life, 
we had to have a discussion about like, okay, if we just, a lot of times, like we're just so into our routine for what we have to get done that day, whether it's work, the gym, walking the dog, feeding all the pets and everything that we forget to have sex. Mm -hmm. And so we had to like sit there and be like, sometimes we need to like figure out, okay, these are the best times. This is when we have time and whatnot. And then from there kind of quote unquote schedule it. And I remember he said that at first he was like, I don't know how I feel about this. Like it makes it feel not sexy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but if we don't make time for it, like it's never going to happen. So we have to do this. We have to approach it in a way that it's like, we're going to prioritize sex in these moments. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're going to give ourselves the time to do it. So I understand how some people could maybe see it as, you know, not as sexy as going over to someone's house for the first time. And like, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. But we have to make sure we keep our sex life going. So we make time for it when we can. And honestly, like recently, having figured out when that time works best for us, Mm -hmm. which is usually like after the gym, after we've both showered, and before we start going off to our evening plans, that's like when we make time for it. And it doesn't feel, we know that that's the time to do it. And it doesn't feel scheduled anymore. It just feels like more like part of the routine, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And even just going to that sex party, like that's planning. You have to plan to go to a party. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or like, like planning to go on a date with someone. Like it is a plan. It's all scheduling and planning. We're doing it all the time anyway. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. So I guess in relation to couples that have been together for a long time and obviously you know in this podcast we talk a lot about non-monogamous relationships polyamory and it can be you know new couples that are entering this but sometimes it's established couples you know they've been in their sex life they've you know been with this partner for a long time and now they're opening up and so you have like the relationship that you have established and now you have all these new sexual relationships most of the time and so I guess my question here is when you're experiencing all this like fun, exciting energy from these new people, and then you have kind of the regularness of your normal relationship. Monotones? I think I said that wrong. <laughs> I, don't I, mean, know. I have no idea. Monotones, I guess, or just the routine. The routine, yeah, yeah, yeah of, your, of your normal relationship. Like, I, I, I don't know if you have any experience with this, but like, what would be your advice in handling both of those at the same time? Yeah, a little bit of it is just compartmentalizing. You can't compare something new and novel versus something deeper, familiar. They're just going to be different experiences. So if you're trying to compare them on the same plane, mm-hmm. you're going to start getting in your head. It's it's going to feel like one's better or worse than the other versus they're just two different types of experience. The sex that you have with someone after years when you know each other's body, you could probably get each other off in like two seconds. Right. That is different. It is amazing. New, exciting sex where, hey, maybe it's super hot, but also sometimes maybe weird stuff. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You're still getting to know each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's just different. So if you can compartmentalize, that's really what's important. Interesting. I think that's a fair way to look at it. And I always tell people too, you know, when I see on Reddit and whatnot, people are like, oh my God, maybe they're having better sex because it's new and exciting. And I'm like, yeah, but it's like, you know, you can't make a comparison because it's not fair to make that comparison. Mm-hmm. Like think four years down the road, if you slow with that new person that you just started dating, the sex is probably going to be at the same place that it is with the other person. Okay. Now kind of in relation to that topic, so for maybe the couples that are experiencing, you know, a little bit of a, of a dry spell or a lull in their sexual relationship, couples that are established that have been together for a long time. So what is your advice in, in helping them to not only compartmentalize, but also 
work past any lulls and, and kind of get back to a place where maybe they can look at sex differently with each other. Yeah, similar to kind of what I do with most couples who are coming into sex therapy, which is taking sex away, rebuilding kind of from the ground up. Another thing that I do is try to get people to think of sex as a bucket versus like, what am I thinking of? What is the word? Like a, a trajectory okay, of events? Because yeah. a lot of people have this idea that it's someone's horny, they initiate maybe some foreplay if you're lucky in a heterosexual monogamous relationship (laughs) but some foreplay maybe some oral if they're lucky penetration orgasm done right and so what I like to have couples do is like sit down and then create a sex bucket (laughs) and that just means like be as detailed as you can every sex act that you liked whether it's just teasing foreplay outer course just receiving oral, just giving oral, just doing this, using toys, which toys, what type of touch, kisses, where on the body, licks, whatever the frick you want in your box or bucket, you take it, you put it in the bucket. And then when you're having sex, you should think of it as I can take anything out of this bucket mm-hmm. at any time with some reason. We don't like swaps or like anal, vaginal, right, right, yeah. but some reason. And then you just take it out, do that act, put it back in, take out something else, do that act, put it back in. And you can always go back to things that you were doing before. So it creates a lot more flexibility. You don't even ever have to pull out that penetrative piece if that's not what you want that day. So it just gives you so many options to jump around, make sex last a lot longer if you're doing all of these different things. And just gets a lot more creative. Because if you have this whole bucket of things and you can do them in any order, that's like an infinite amount of possibilities for your sex life. So you're basically saying to not make it like a timeline. Yeah. Which I really like that you said that because that's kind of like the sex that me and my dom have. Whenever we have our experience, our sexual experience, it's not always penetrative. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like, but we jump around so many different things and, you know, there's no, never any order. I really liked how you explained that because it, like, I agree. It, like, gave me a light bulb, like, hey, that's the sex that I have. It's like, okay, it's not going to be just like, okay, we're at point A, now we're at point B, now we're at point C, done. No, it's going to be like, okay, we're going to jump around a little bit. So that was really cool. And I think, no, I agree. I really like that as well. And I think it's important to remember, like, to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Like you said, so many people are like, you start having sex, you have sex, you come, and then it's done. And that's what they think is, like, supposed to be the most fulfilling thing. But I'm like, was that fun? Boring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really boring really fast. Exactly. And so I think for, I mean, not just long-term relationships or non-monogamous, but for any relationship, it's good to keep in mind that, like, it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. And it's also fun. good to have the conversation of, like, what goes in our bucket. Like, what, how do you like to be touched? In what ways? So that I know that these are things I can go to to get you off. And also always updating that bucket if you want to try something new, putting it in, if for whatever reason, you want to take something out of that bucket for a while, especially penetrative sex. There's a lot of reasons to take penetrative sex. What are some of those? I'm curious. Any type of like vaginismus, vulvodynia, having kids, like sometimes it's just, it needs a break. Right. Um, And so if there's any of those things, if you're on a new medication and it's, you know, making things a little difficult, like you can always just take those things out if it's not fitting for your life right then and there. Same thing with like the flexibility of when and how you have sex, scheduling it, like it should always be a point of negotiation. What's working now? Is it still working? Do we change it? Do we add to it? Do we take things away so that it's just always fitting in your life the way you need it? How do you talk to couples about talking to each other about sex? Or how do you recommend that they have those conversations? Because I think this is where a lot of people also miss the mark is not talking about it or they have sex one way 
And then they never talk about it, you know, their evolving sex life. And then four years later, they think it's still supposed to be the way it was in the beginning. Now it's not. And then they're both like in their heads, but they don't talk. Can I do a PowerPoint presentation on that? (laughs) (laughs) But what, what do you recommend to them? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, that's really just a part of our society. We fail at teaching pleasure. Like most people that I work with, if they've had some introduction to sex it's peers it's school and a pretty horrendous like maybe abstinence maybe like here's a really terrible std look at it it's Mm -hmm. gross and then babies and we're (laughs) (laughs) we're not taught about how to like communicate about pleasure long-term pleasure how things change and so it is really really hard for people Mm -hmm. to figure that out on their own the one thing that i recommend is one just talk just say the words say however whatever words you want to use tits ass pussy cunt mm-hmm. can i say that yeah no go for it. i like using i like the word cunt personally but i i call my pussy cunt all the time like it's whatever you yeah. like uh but use the words say them out loud and talk when sex is good and bad because if you're reserving the conversations for something's wrong you're always going to avoid those conversations or you know when someone's bringing something up that it's not a good thing It's like, oh, we're missing something. I'm not feeling connected. And then you're like, crap. If you keep talking and say, hey, how are we doing? Sex has been great. This has been wonderful. I like that we tried this thing. Then when you do need to bring something up that there's a change, it's 10 times easier. I think it's super important talking about both the good and the bad because like you said, you know, people only talk about the bad. And I think a lot of times what happens there is you're only talking about the bad times. So then your partner's like, all the sex we're having is terrible. We're not talking about any of the good times. Like, oh my God, I'm failing at all the sex that we're having. And now like it puts them in their head that they're not good enough. They're not Mm -hmm. meeting their partner's needs. So yeah, I think sometimes people forget to talk about the good things too. And I mean, we check in pretty often with each other, you know, about our sex life just because, you know, obviously we're having sex with other people. And I mean, we'll, we'll talk about like, okay, here are the things, despite, you know, what's going on with these other relationships, like what do we need to do in ours as well? But I really like that you said that because I just want people, or I wish more people would just talk mm-hmm. about these kind of things. Like the world would be a much better place. Well, yeah, it's like, well, talk. how do you tell a dude like, hey, I really don't like it when your fingers in that one specific area move it, you know, like just well i think people take it personally too you know and so then they're like oh my god that means i'm not good at sex like no no no. like we're just giving you a little bit of you know constructive criticism here and then that way you know how to pleasure me better and i would want the same from them Mm -hmm. right so if they want guys tell you all the time when you're giving them handouts just the tip or when you (laughs) (laughs) right so then you're like okay cool i'm just gonna focus on the tip here so it's like if we're telling you to we like this slightly different then that's just for so that you know you communicate i remember i had a guy once he was like i went down on a girl in australia and she spent 45 minutes telling me exactly how she wanted me to eat her out he was like that was the best lesson and the best 45 minutes of my life that i've ever spent and i'm like i love that (laughs) i'll say whenever my my dom and i first started having or hooking up it was hilarious because we would have what we called blowjob lessons. Oh, like and, <laughs> yeah. and we literally spent the last five months perfecting my blowjob skills. And when I say I've deeply, deeply loved this, I mean it because I feel like, and I'm not going to lie, I never liked giving head. When I was younger, you know, when I first started having sex, 
in college, like I just, I, I hated blowjobs because A, like, you know, my jaw hurt, it took forever. You know, the guy would, you know, guys like different things. And I was not capable of deep throating. I'll just throw that out there. Mm -hmm. I couldn't. And I met my dom and we spent, yeah, about four months. I think I finally got it down to a great technique. <laughs> but we spent four months basically teaching me how to give bomb blowjobs. And now I deeply enjoy it with him so much. And I just, I have so much more confidence going in because I'm like, okay, I know what I'm doing. I know what he likes. You know, if I ever had to perform it on someone else, I feel like I would do just 10 times better. So now, I, I truly appreciated that. <laughs> do y'all spend any time for him going down on, like, do you teach him how to go down on you? As a sub, no. Okay. <laughs> just curious. No problem. Yeah. But I will say for women being on the receiving end, if you're not comfortable with verbalizing what you want because also if you say like a little to the left when someone's down there like it's a <laughs> millimeter of a difference and then they're like way over <laughs> it's super helpful to actually try nonverbal communication so having your hand somewhere on their body to either indicate like with your thumb oh. like speed direction pressure yeah because it's oh. easier for them to understand feeling it on their body versus words because then they're interpreting it. So just a little trick. It also helps if you're not super comfortable with saying all the words yet. So you just show them. Or you can squeeze. Like, it's really good. Like, the harder you squeeze, the better it is so that they start to learn, like, this is the spot. This is the technique. Wow. I'm going to use that one. I it's never terrible. thought of that. I love that. Okay, you briefly mentioned a little bit earlier about, what was it? Oh, sex education in our school systems, which I think sucks because... Mm -hmm. I don't know if I, we've talked about it on the podcast before or not, but it basically teaches you either abstinence or, you know, you're going to get a disease or you're going to get pregnant. But that's it. So, like, for me growing up, like, my only sex education, it didn't come from my parents either. Like, they didn't really give me much of a talk. Like, it came from Planned Parenthood. So, shout out to Planned Parenthood because <laughs> thank God you guys were around when I started having sex and you guys are still around. But... I guess, what is your opinion on, you know, not only teaching children about sex, but like how early, you know, what methods do you think would, would help in, in teaching children about sex? I think you should start as early as possible. First and foremost, for safety. Like you need to teach kids their body parts, how to actually say those words. You need to teach them consent super early on so that they understand, one, how to not touch other kids inappropriately. But two, if there's an adult, what to do, mm -hmm. learning power dynamics really early on so that they know like, oh, this person is seven years older than me. Maybe that's not okay when yeah. I'm a child. Yeah. Because um, God knows there's so many teenagers out there like, we're in love. He's 13 years older than me. But yeah. I'm special. Exactly. You're not. It's grooming. Yeah. 99% um, <laughs> of the time. Sure, there's exceptions out there, but you're probably not it. And then if you're starting those conversations early, especially once kids start hitting puberty mm -hmm. and they're starting to explore their sexuality, you need to start having conversations about safe sex, about pleasure, about communication. Because as much as adults sometimes aren't comfortable with the fact that kids are having sex, they are. You're not right. stopping that. Kids start their pubescent period at that time, if that's when they're experiencing it, it doesn't matter if you're comfortable with it or not, they're going through that. And so you need as an adult to talk to them and just say, hey, this is what happens. One, sex should not hurt as a female for the first time. I don't know how many girls have like, oh yeah, sex is really uncomfortable for like the first couple of times and then eventually maybe one day I'll like it or women just don't like sex and that's absolutely wrong. Your first time 
might be a little uncomfortable, but it shouldn't be painful. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not doing foreplay and you actually need to teach kids that like, hey, foreplay, all the things before sex. Hey, here's when we need to use condoms or other kind of birth control methods. The pull-up method, not a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless you're really good at tracking your ovulation cycle, which I'm going to assume the 16-year-old is probably not. Yeah. It just super helps because also through that, you can teach them like how sex evolves, how sex changes. How do you talk about sex with a partner? Sets them up way better in the long run. I think it's great that you mentioned also teaching about the, you know, ovulation and all that because, and that's a huge part of it. And I think it should start, especially when we're teaching our daughters or females about their cycle, that's when we should start the sex talk too. It's like, hey, let's learn about this so you know what your body's doing at this time. And then, you know, take into the sex talk. Because I think... And I agree with you completely. First and foremost, safety, but also just like you can't just expect your child not to once all that human growth hormone and estrogen or testosterone is just coursing through their veins that they're not going to want to have sex. Of course, they're going to want to try it. And also one thing, masturbation. Mm -hmm. I think we should definitely be teaching kids that because I don't know. I mean, I think the first time I and I don't think I even meant to do this, but I think the first time I ever like came and orgasmed was and I remember vividly I was in my bed I was maybe like 11 or 12 and it was like this sensation and I was like oh my god what is this and that it was from there it was a journey me and masturbation have been on a journey which I think I'm gonna call her she she and I are finally at a good place now that I'm 27. It took that long. (laughs) Well, and I mean, honestly, like, this is where the root of all the world's problems with sex starts. Adults don't teach their children. Children have no idea what they're doing. No one talks about it. Then everyone's uninformed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And no one's informed. So then, you know, you have people going in, not only from their, now they're teenagers, now they're moving out of their parents' house, and now they're full-blown adults, and they still haven't necessarily been taught anything. They have maybe an inkling of what sex is supposed to be like and a few couple little resources, but they don't talk about it. Now they're getting married. They don't talk about it with their spouses. Now they're having issues. And so it's just like, it's this giant cycle where if I think at least, if we started teaching our children a lot younger and we started like actually having solid conversations with them about it, the world would embrace sexuality a lot better. I wish my parents would have sat me down and said, sex is when a man's penis goes into a vagina, but also all the acts around it, right? Mm -hmm. Because for the longest time, I thought that two people naked in front of each other... Was sex. Now, yeah, I of course, would argue that it is. Yeah, you know, but now, of course, it is. It is. But all of these are sexual acts. And my definition of sex after I figured it out, it was like, oh, it's just penetration. Was just that. And then I kind of had to evolve out of mm-hmm. that. It's like, I wish that conversation had started, yeah, earlier and much differently than the way it was taught to me, honestly. Yeah, I remember having a conversation or a fight with my mom when I was in high school over whether oral sex was sex and she was like absolutely it is really yeah, and yeah. I was like no because sex is penetration and yeah it, like it doesn't count you can't get all of these things pregnancy all of it she's like it's sex and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mom was right go figure <laughs> so I guess you know since we're all kind of royally fucked up because our, most of our parents don't teach us about sex so what do you find like 
where are people having a lot of issues with their sexuality? And by sexuality, I don't necessarily mean orientation. I mean like in accepting themselves as sexual beings, in you know seeing themselves as someone that can like enjoy and gain pleasure from sex. Like where do you find that people have like issues or shame with that, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think two main places. One is just in kind of bucking up against the norm. Mm -hmm. And one, no one actually knows what the norm is. Everyone's idea of the norm is some version of Hollywood, what they think people are doing behind closed doors. And they're so wrong. And so they're always comparing themselves and thinking that they should be that. And then very ultimately, that's pretty unsatisfying for a lot of people. And so when they start challenging, whether it's in what type of relationship dynamic they want to be in, what type of partners they're interested in, their own sexual orientation, it's just a lot of confusion and shame. The other big one is actually with masturbation. Mm. It's just like people have a lot of shame about masturbation and they also have this idea that it's something to take away from partnered sex. Like if I'm with a partner, I shouldn't be masturbating because they should be filling all of my needs. Right. Which I say masturbation and partnered sex, they run parallel. They serve different purposes and they don't compete with one another in like extreme or rare cases. Sure. But for the most part, you should be able to enjoy masturbation. You should be able to enjoy partner sex with one or however many other partners you freaking want in a room. And they're never really taking away from one another, but people feel really bad. Also porn consumption. People feel really guilty about that. Well, I love that you mentioned that because I have so many friends that have been like, Oh my God, he's watching porn and masturbating. That means I'm not good enough. Or that means that I'm not giving them what they need or I'm less than. And I'm always like, I masturbate and I love watching porn when I do it. And, you know, I have no shame in it because guess what? There have been times where I'm upstairs in my room and my husband is downstairs watching TV and I just don't feel like having penetrative sex. I feel like putting my vibrator on my clit and watching some porn and getting off in like two, three minutes and being done and moving on. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean that he's less than. It just means in that moment... I just wanted something different, enjoy that moment with myself. And then when I want sex with him, we'll have sex. So when I see women that get so, or men too, it could be men or women, either one, that get so kind of, I guess, they take it personally, mm -hmm. you know, that their partner wants to masturbate or or watch porn that I'm like, I, I don't think that's a fair comparison or it doesn't, it's not a reflection of you at all, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of... Stress relief, self-pleasure, just feeling good. Again, like usually it takes two minutes versus the whole amount of energy yeah. you commit to with another person. There's no pressure to satisfy anyone else, which is really yeah. relieving for a lot of people. Also really great sleep aid if you're having a little bit of insomnia, just have an orgasm. Good to know. Helps. <laughs> I got to yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oftentimes I masturbate right before I go to bed because it just knocks me right no, into sleep. Yeah, it's exactly. Same way. And then in the morning, because I got to wake up, I'm like, this will wake me up. <laughs> like, find my vibrator. Do you... <laughs> like, there it is. <laughs> do you... If, has anyone ever come with this, or come to you with this? Or what do you recommend to, to, like, couples that come and then she's, you know, one of them is like, they're masturbating all the time. And the other one's like, I just like it. Like, what do you recommend to those people? Or what... What are some of the tools that you give them to, to change maybe their perspective or to kind of change how they approach the two, if that makes sense? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, your relationship is defined how you want it. So if porn is not something that is okay in your relationship, that's between who's in it. So mm -hmm. for some people, that's considered cheating. If that's how you want to be and both people agree with, that's absolutely fine. Um, but they do like to challenge the idea of, hey, like, 
What are you getting out of it? How is it different? Because partnered sex has a lot of psychological underpinnings. It is a lot of the time for connection, to feel validated, to feel desirable and wanted and all of these different things to feel safe in some ways to work out some trauma, which can be really great in a safe place. Solo sex doesn't really do a lot of that, but it can be self-care, stress relieving, sleep help. It can just be a lot of different things. No pressure. You get to have the orgasm feel really good without having to commit to all of those other psychological things. So if you just see them differently, you'll realize that maybe it's not, like you said, not about you and it's just a different thing to experience. And then do you want to have that in your, in your relationship? I would say in terms of porn, it's not an educational tool. Like <laughs> a lot of people have a lot of very valid concerns about porn. Um, also just, it's not always the most, the most ethical thing yeah, in the world. I agree. Um, there, some are better than other. I do recommend Erica Lust. Ooh. <laughs> um, a lot of her stuff isn't in English, though. But it's if you understand what porn is used for and you're not comparing it and you can you look at these people as professionals, as actors, as complex, full humans, and you're not objectifying either of the men or women in this, it can be a really healthy, fun thing. But you do have to have some awareness of how you consume porn. No, I agree with that. And I mean, like when I look at the porn I watch, I like it because it's fun to see how people like have sex. Yeah, but it's also natural. Like we as human beings are cued to view sex and to be turned on by it. It's it's also just a part of our, lear- our learning and our brain. Like think back to when we were cavemen, how did we learn about sex? We watched people have sex. Right, exactly. And so it's, it's just a little bit of a carryover for that. So like, of course, if you see sex, it's going to be stimulating in some way. That's not a personal slight. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah, but I do love, (laughs) we'll just like throw her in here, Erica Lust. One, because she's a female porn director and producer. Mm -hmm. Two, because the quality is so much better. It is like Netflix where you actually get to see the sex scenes. Yeah. The story, it's beautifully lit. It's different types of bodies, which I really like. I was introduced to her because she was doing this thing where she was taking submissions of people's fantasies or sex that they've had, that they found really hot, that they really enjoyed, and then she turned it into porn. Love so that. it's so much more grounded in yeah. like an actual experience, less kind of performative the way a lot of like right. red, red tube stuff is. I'm going to have to go look that up. I don't know if I've ever watched. Erica Lust? Erica, Erica with a Lust. K. Yeah. Erica with a K. I want to read you probably have to pay for it. <laughs> hey, I don't mind, you know, paying for paying something for good that's ethical porn. Be... It is yeah, also exactly. much more ethical. Yeah. Well, if you get a subscription, I'll just borrow that. And I think okay. I noticed that Owen Gray was in one of her more recent <gasps> I love Owen Gray. Oh. <laughs> and uh, Small Hands. Yeah, they're, oh. they're double teams. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I watch those all the time. I'm like, I, you know. They put so much care <laughs> into their work. They do. And I, yeah. I actually follow Small Hands on Instagram, and I think he's just a really dope person. But I love porn that shows men being, you know, very, like, caring. Mm-hmm. And Well, no, I remember yeah. one. It was Own Gray and Small Hands. And I think they're, you know, they're double teaming. And in some, like, switching of positions, he accidentally, like, knees the girl in the yeah. mouth a little bit. And he just went to such a me, oh, my God, are you okay? And I was <gasps> like, that was the hottest moment. <laughs> <laughs> Did you come right then and there? I was like, oh, my God, the care, the checking in. I was like, oh, this is beautiful. I love that. I'm going to have to go back and watch that. I, yeah, I rewound that and I was like, I'm just going to watch this. <laughs> no, I, I totally get that. Because, I mean, women like being nurtured, you know, especially during sex. And, I, and to me, that's a beautiful expression of, like, true masculinity. Yes. It's sexy. It's powerful. Yes. It's nurturing. I talk a lot about 
masculinity and femininity with people in more of like an experience of like the energy and the spectrum where masculinity is caretaking. It's what that dom energy is. A lot of the time is like, I'm creating this space for fun, for pleasure, but you trust it because I'm taking care of you. Yeah. And that's where the femininity and the fun can really play around and explore. It's great. I love that. It's healthy, not toxic masculinity. I love that because the other day I was blowing my dom and basically I started coughing because, you know, it went way deep in there and, you know, he stops and he's like patting my back and he was like, are you okay, baby? Like, is there anything? Do you need water? I'm going to go get you some. So, and he was so nurturing in that way. And I was just like, my little sub heart was like, daddy's being so nice. And, I'm, and you're like, I loved it. I was like, yes, water. Okay, back to work. I loved it. I think that's one thing that, especially like in the BDSM, the dom sub world, you know, people that don't understand it and they look into it, they're like, oh my God, this is weird or toxic or you know I don't know about this but really like if you are actually in those relationships and you understand you know kind of that realm that you step into with someone they are very endearing Mm -hmm. and very like loving type of relationships it's it's a little fantasy world but like you said it's a safe space and so I really like that analogy yeah and I always tell people like dom sub kind of relationships like the dom is the one holding the space but the sub is honestly the one with the ultimate power because they have listed out where things can go and you trust the dom to hold those those right yeah exactly so a little bit of a shift here but one thing i we've talked about it in other episodes and whatnot like in relation to libidos do you see a lot of you know clients or couples coming in with you know like differences in their libidos do you see a common theme between men and women what do you have any kind of like thoughts or or anything in, in regards to that Yeah, libido issues is honestly probably one of the most common things that I deal with. A lot of the time we kind of call it desire discrepancy. It's basically just when like one person wants it a lot more or a lot less or the timing of when people are sexual is different. A lot of times for men, it's a little bit more, and this is hormonally based, a little bit more in the mornings. Um, When they wake up, their hormones are a little bit more active. So they tend to be on average a little bit more aroused then women tend to be a little bit more aroused in the evening but also for women again kind of with the cycle that changes over a 28 day period and so a lot of it is just talking through and trying to bridge that gap depending on how often do you want to be having sex or what types of sex how often do you want to be having sex and trying to figure out if there's a way that we can get closer or bring the timing together a little bit more. And also a huge part that helps is that sex bucket. If you're like, okay, well, I'm super horny, but I'm less horny. What does that mean is available to us in terms of like the actual sex acts? Maybe Uh we don't want to have penetrative sex because it's late, we're tired, we just put the kids down, but we can do this instead really helps bring that libido together. And then when you're talking about you know, sex, not as just those acts, but as a whole concept, you're doing all of these sexual acts. You actually have a very active, flexible, free sex life. And so that usually bridges that libido difference, if there is one. The discrepancy. I really like that. Do you tell people ever to like vocalize like in the exact moments when they're horny, just like whenever they feel like it? Because sometimes I'll be like, I'm horny right now. And my husband will be like, well, we're about to go to the gym. So can we, and he'll like, you know, propose something. Or I'll be like, I'm horny right now. And maybe he says it too. And so actually, yeah, one time we were about to go to the store and he was like, I'm horny. And I'm like, we need to go get groceries. But when we get back, maybe we can, you know, Mm -hmm. or we're like, we have five minutes. Sure, let's 
do a quick handy? Like, do you tell people to, to do anything like yeah, that? Yeah, definitely tell your partner or partners when you're aroused so that you can put it out there so that you can make a decision of like, can we wait? Do we want to do something now? Also, it's important to note the difference between spontaneous desire, which is just what you said, like, I'm just feeling horny versus responsive desire, which is, hey, the other person very likely isn't just naturally exactly where you are. But are they open to touching, making out, doing something? Because a lot of the time the desire kicks in. Yeah. When we touch our bodies in a sexual way, our bodies go, oh, yeah, this is fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I like this. I think I could do this. And then you have the energy for it. So it's always just checking in with yourself of like, hey, can I be responsive right now? Yeah. If it's like, you know, they're horny and it's two in the morning, you're dead asleep. Maybe you're like, yeah, no. But there's very often times where if you start doing it, you're going to remember that oh yeah, I actually do enjoy this. And that's also the important part of consent. Like you have to check in every part of the way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. You know, it's funny because when I think about my libido, I find patterns in it, you know, right before or, or like right around ovulation, I'm always super horny. And then like right before my period, always super horny. But I've noticed 10 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. <laughs> very my, specific. <laughs> my horniest times. And I remember one time, it's noon for me. It's noon? Really? Yeah. Noon and yeah, about that 7.30 time frame. Personally, yeah. I, I love like mid-afternoon sex. Oh, 3 p.m. Sunday, like late mornings. Yeah. Yes. yes. When you're just like lounging around in bed, beautiful time. Exactly. Oh, did we interrupt that for you? I was so <laughs> <laughs> oh shit i was like wait i thought it was sunday okay no no you have your sunday like, sex you want to have sex i was like i need to do my hair and makeup maybe after so i'll have sex later <laughs> <laughs> okay so kind of another little shift here this is a little more in relation to polyamorous mm-hmm. and ethical non-monogamy relationships and i see this a lot on reddit where one partner wants to be either open or poly and the other doesn't. And a lot of times that does have to do with kind of a difference in their sexuality. So one wants to explore, the other doesn't. Or maybe they're having their own issues, which if that's the case, I always I always recommend people, I'm like, you got to fix your issues first. Mm-hmm. But if it's like a discrepancy in their libidos or a discrepancy in the things that they want to explore, the things that they like, maybe there's something in the bucket that one doesn't want to explore. Like, what do you recommend around that? Or what would be your, how would you approach that with people? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, you have to start by breaking down a lot of the things that we're taught about monogamy and like that that's the way you have to be and do things just start with research and then once you feel that you're informed enough and have kind of confronted what you think might work for you you can make your relationship whatever the heck you want there's no right or wrong way as long as everyone feels that it's what they want for themselves so if you want to be open and both partners seek things how you want what types of partners if one person wants to seek romantic, but another person just wants to do like dungeon things. Mm-hmm. You can make it what you want. If one person wants to be monogamous and the other person wants to be open, you can do and formulate any relationship as long as everyone involved is happy and consenting and communicating, communicating a lot right. all the time. But ultimately you just have to start by breaking down that like, this is how you should be. And then once you realize that picking what options feel right for you and your relationship. Right. No, that makes sense. Cause I, I see people all the time. They're like, I don't want to be 
poly, but my partner doesn't. And, you know, they always ask people for advice. And a lot of people, you know, say you can you can have one-sided poly or ENM or openness, but the key there is just going to be communication. I mean, I, I do think it, it has to do a lot with the person who wants to be monogamous, making sure that they are in a good mental health space in like in themselves so that mm-hmm. you know they're not having a lot of those feelings of like insecurities or jealousy and whatnot but i i think it can work again it just you guys have to talk and define how that's yeah. gonna work and it's you. why do you want to be monogamous like yeah if that feels right for you great but if you want to be monogamous because you're trying to keep your partner from something or there's jealousy then that maybe isn't the best right idea and you usually feel it like you know when you're entering into something whether that you're entering into it because of a negative emotion and you're holding that in your body versus like an excitement and an openness and a hey I don't want other partners but I'm excited for you right beautiful then you're probably in a good space for it well and you know you mentioned a little bit about how some people do it differently for example at least in my open marriage, my husband likes more emotional connections. He likes more of like the polyamory. He has a girlfriend and that's kind of where he gains satisfaction from it. And he's said to me before, he was like, I'm happy with you and with her. And so like, I don't feel the need to like, go find anything else. I'm good with this. Whereas for me, and I told him this recently, especially after I met up with that Dom couple and explored more of my kinks again and got more in tune with my kinks again, I realized I, I'm open to polyamory. I'm open to deeper emotional connections, but what I really want to do is just keep exploring my sexuality. And so when I went and saw them the other day and we did more of the Dom sub stuff and played around more and I went home and told him all about it, he was like, I'm just happy that, you know, you're getting to explore this. Because again, he's not really into Dom sub. And so he was telling me, he was like, I'm genuinely happy that you're so excited about exploring this side of yourself again. When there are differences like that, I think if people just take the, don't take it personally, like mm-hmm. it's, it's not a self-reflection of you just because they want something different. It's, you know, maybe they want to explore something and, and there's a difference here, but you guys can find a way to make it work yeah. together. And as long as you're articulating your needs for what you need in that relationship, you're probably going to be okay. Yeah. I know when we had first had our discussion, we touched on this subject and I really liked it. So I wanted to discuss it today psychological reasons behind why people have sex and you know Mm -hmm. so you had made some really good points there and you know kind of what are your what's the best way for you to summarize it yeah I think especially if you're a little bit older and have been a sexually active adult for a while I always recommend people look back at sex Mm -hmm. when you were a teenager why were you having it probably because all of your friends were doing it you wanted peer acceptance that's Uh a motivation also, you were probably just pumped hormones and yeah, yeah. and your body was wanting it. So a very physical desire there. As you usually move into like your 20s or 30s, that's a lot more exploration, trying to learn yourself, learn what feels good for you, both in physical touch, but also in relationship dynamics. A lot of people in their 20s have a big chunk of just like wanting to feel wanted. Because as you're growing your self-esteem and your confidence as a person, that external validation of like someone else likes me, someone else wants me, someone else is attracted to me is a very powerful psychological motive. Usually in more like stable long-term relationships, that changes to checking in if the relationship is okay. People use sex as a metric. And I don't necessarily recommend that, but Mm -hmm. like We're fighting, but if we're having sex, like the relationship is safe. 
it's it's a security thing or it is again to feel desired or body changes we've gained a little bit of weight we've had kids and you still want like I'm attractive I feel good in my body someone else is telling me that I'm hot that I'm sexy that helps my own confidence a lot of it is connection again like trauma explorations can be like okay there was a place that wasn't safe and now I get to kind of rewrite that narrative in a place that is safe so tons (laughs) changes so it's definitely good to kind of look at your own experiences and question like why was I having sex at that time and you'll probably see that it was different for a lot of reasons Mm -hmm. I like that and okay so when you bring up trauma I remember or you see this sometimes too where people have traumas related to sex and so like at least on reddit I, I find that a lot of people have questions like um, there was one specifically, the wife was like, okay, with sex with women, but not sex with men because of like trauma in the past. I know therapy is usually probably one of the best ways to heal that trauma. But like when you recommend to people or approach people about healing trauma through sex, what are some of the techniques or some of the things that you recommend in kind of overcoming that so that they can get past the trauma and enjoy their sex lives? So that one's always, always really tricky and super specific to the trauma that someone experienced. Right. Rule number one is you have to be in a safe, consensual relationship, (laughs) whether it's with a dom, with a partner, whomever, it has to be safe. Because if you are in an unsafe space, you're going to re-traumatize yourself, not heal it. And then it's understanding like what was your trauma, what boundaries were crossed for you and to re-enter into that space knowing that the environment is safe and communicating and also sometimes taking it really slow, especially with sexual assault, especially for women. A lot of that could just be where on my body. Sometimes I do this thing called, I don't actually know if it has a name, but I call it body mapping where I'm like, okay, where are the green zones on your body? Where can you be touched? And you're great. Where's the yellow zones? Where are these areas that like you're okay, but it feels like, you know, maybe we don't want to push that. Where are there any zones in your body that are red? Like you do not want to be touched there. Do you know why? And then slowly working to like turn those yellow zones a little bit more green, maybe eventually completely green. Maybe those red zones become a little yellow and and slowly with you in control of that process, getting to a place where you learn to release that trauma from your body. Because we do hold a lot of those memories physically in our body. So if you can get comfortable, breathe through it, trust your partner, trust that if you need to back off of a boundary that they are going to immediately do that, that can be really, really healing. Interesting. I don't, I don't like my belly button touch. <laughs> I just don't. Uh, so I, when you were mentioning that, I was like literally sitting there. I'm like, do I have any yellow and red zones? Like I'm going to need to do some body mapping after this. The belly button is a deep red. I don't know why. I just don't like it. Just I, and it, Again, that could just be like as you age, as your body changes, you get less comfortable with certain parts of your body. That's a huge one for women with kids. It's just like, this looks different and I'm not comfortable with it. So then it, sometimes I'll even have them like be fully clothed. Okay, now we're going to do a little less clothing. Now we're going to ease into it really slowly so that you just kind of learn to breathe and not only breathe but move into a place of pleasure with it that can be really freeing when you have a part on your body that like you couldn't have touched and now it's being touched and you're enjoying it and so when you do body mapping do you like if you do it yourself on you do you also suggest maybe also doing it with a partner mm-hmm and have them touch those areas? Yeah. If anything, it's actually, you need to communicate your mouth really? to your partner because okay. if they're going to be the ones to touch 
and move into a place of pleasure, they need to know where, the, where those boundary lines are. It'd also be fun. I think I recommended to a couple as like a fun date night to like do it with paint. Like get one oh. of those big things, paint your body or have them paint your body in those like three colors so that you can visually see where you can touch and where you can play around. And that's also sexy. Maybe roll around on a mat, hang up on your wall. Yeah, I love that. Nice. That's a yeah. phenomenal these idea. Were, these things don't have to be like, okay, we're going to do this trauma work. It, it can be fun. It can't. Sex should be fun and freeing. So yeah. you can make it whatever you need it to be. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've seen before where um, couples do the thing where they paint each other and then they roll on something and then that's mm-hmm. like an art piece that they hang up on their wall and everyone's like, what's this blob of paint? And it's like... <laughs> Just a little project we worked on, but really it was the two of you fucking. Anyways, I like that. I definitely think sex can be healing. I definitely think, especially like people as they explore kinks, kinks can be healing. Mm-hmm. To say that though, just because someone has a kink doesn't mean that they have some trauma or they're broken or anything like that. I agree. You know, it's really funny that you mentioned that because the other day I was talking to a guy. It's a couple that I recently played with. And I before we, you know played together he was like what are some of the things you like and I went on my laundry list of you know my very interesting kinks and we were talking about them all and it was a really healthy conversation I appreciated that like he was very open to a lot of the things or like at least like he didn't make me feel weird for it Mm -hmm. but I remember at the end he was like I like that you're so explorative and open and into a lot of really kinky things he was like but you're not damaged if that makes sense and I'm like, piss me off. <laughs> well, and I, I guess I appreciated that he noted mm-hmm. that uh, when I had talked about my sexual journey and the things that I like, he realized that it all came from a place of like my natural curiosity with mm-hmm. things and not like, cause we had had in-depth discussions of like, you know, kind of our past and stuff. So I guess to me, like, I appreciated that he listened, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. But, you know, obviously, yeah, I, I know that people can at times use those things to heal. But people tend to look at the kinky people and they're like, oh, they're trying to fix something. Or yeah. like they're what fucked up. What did they experience? Yeah, yeah. Like. Exactly. Like they're fucked up now because they, like the, because they like this. And I'm like, I don't, that's not the way to look at it. Like some of us just generally have like a curiosity about it. And, and we just like it because we do. There's nothing, you yeah, can't explain just a, it. It's just a preference. You try a different type of ice cream and you're not questioning if you're damaged because you like chocolate chip. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I agree. I don't understand why in the kink world it has to be associated with damage, even though it can be healing why it has to be associated with damage. Yeah, some people don't understand things that they're not familiar with and they say, oh, someone must be wrong or yeah. especially around sex. It's a lot of shaming. So they just kind of default to that. But Well, speaking of shame, so what What are the, I, well, I guess we kind of touched on it earlier, like getting rid of shame. But I guess I, I really think that as a society, everyone needs to move past a lot of the shame that they have around sex. And I, I do think a lot of it has to do with the fact that no one really talks about it. Mm-hmm. But do you have any like, certain you know either tips or techniques or anything to like just kind of move past any shame that one might have yeah a huge part of that is mainly talking talk to your friends uh something that i recommend is read educate yourself um and just tell people well especially because i was in new york for a long amount of time like read a sexy book on the subway don't hide that you're reading something i mean don't watch porn and masturbate on the subway but like (laughs) if you're reading like the ethical slut or something do it in front of people. Have conversations with people, especially if you're in relationships. Talk to your friends in relationships and share. You don't have to go into graphic detail about your sex life, 
but share what's happening. Because once people start sharing, they realize, oh, this problem that we've been having in our marriage or our relationship happening in every freaking other person's relationship. And then it's like, oh, we can actually talk. What did you do? Oh, you got past this. How did you do it? Um, women in general have more availability to talk about sex a lot of women kind of had that conversation with some girl where they're like oh, i'm gonna have sex for the first time mm-hmm. what's it gonna be like and they create this world of sharing mm-hmm. men do not have that mm. a lot of the time if they share about sex it's in that very hyper masculine like oh yeah i went to the bar and i brought her home and fucked super hard <laughs> and then even if that's a bold-faced lie they have no guy is going to like come to his guy friends the next day like yeah remember that girl i was talking to brought her home, lost it halfway through, was really disappointing. Then she asked if I was gay. Like, they're not (laughs) going to share that experience. But it happens. So many guys have that experience. And if they were just communicating, they would realize that so many of their guy friends have had disappointing sex, unsatisfying sex, really great sex, tried a new weird kink, did something different, lost their erections, came in two seconds. And then they would realize that they're not some, like, horrible, flawed person because they're just a human having sex. Yeah. I absolutely love that. I'm so I was actually at a bar the other day with my dom and one of his friends. And I had just come back from doing a recording with Nikki. And I sat there and I was talking about it. And we got into the conversation of, I can't remember if it was like sex or doms anyways. And, you know, his friend looks at me and he was like, you know, this is how it should be. You should be able to talk about these things in person and, you know, in public and not be ashamed of it. He was like, I love it. And I was like, thank you. Guys are always really like thrown aback by how open I am about my sex life and my sexuality in general. And I think it's because Cami and I talk so much about our sex lives and then also my husband and I. And then like the three of us talk about it together. Like there's always been just such an open line of communication about sex, the good, the bad and the ugly that it like... Which is, I feel so comfortable in talking about it. I have no issues. And I remember one time we were getting onto an elevator and we were talking about sex. I was going to say this story. I'm okay. so glad you're saying it. <laughs> so we were, we were getting onto an elevator. It was me, Cami, my husband, and a friend of ours that came with us to Vegas. And I can't remember what the story was about or what we were talking about. Something sex related. And as we were going up, like someone entered the, it stopped at a floor and someone entered the elevator. And like, we just continued our conversation about sex, Kimona. And like, I mean, it wasn't like anything like super graphic, but we're definitely like talking about it in a way that's very explicit. And then that person got off the elevator at some point. And then when we got off, our friend looked at us and he was like, you guys never stop your conversations when other people are around. He was like, you just keep talking about it, even if it's like something super sexual. And I'm like, that's an adult. Mm-hmm. Like they surely they understand and know about sex. Like what I, do I have to censor myself just because like someone else came around? Like I understand if a little child came around the area, like it's not my place to be talking about sex. I, I can be, you know, cognizant and respectful of that. But if it's if I'm around other adults, what's the problem with talking about sex? Like I don't mm-hmm. get it. Why do we have to be also like weirded out about talking about it? Especially like as to me, as a sex therapist, when I'm not working and, you know, people find out about what I do for a living, I get so many questions, especially from men, that they just sit there and it will be like two hours of nothing but questions. (laughs) This Do you charge them? No, I should. I was like, this is just your free, your free little consultation. Go see a sex therapist. But it's just because they don't have people to talk to about this. I'm like, if you just talked Mm -hmm. to other people about this. 
you'd have a, you wouldn't feel like you, this is your one opportunity to ask everything that comes to mind. Is this normal? Is this okay? What yeah. about this? And most of the time it's normal. It's okay. Yeah. That's the majority of the time. You're fine. No, you're not watching too much porn. It's okay. No, it's not weird that you like the eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People with fetishes, I, it always cracks me up. Cause like there was a guy I was talking to. He was like, he was like, I have a foot fetish if that's okay. I'm sorry if you think that's like weird. I'm like, nah, dude, I don't care if you suck on my toes. Like whatever the fuck you want to do, have at it. It's not a red zone for me. It's not yellow. Like you're not weird. I always try to tell people like when I tell them about my kinks and then I have them share their kinks with me, the number one thing I always tell them first and foremost is like, that's awesome. That's not weird or anything. Mm -hmm. I really, I really like that you like that. So give them kind of that safe space so they can be like, oh, she doesn't think it's weird. Like I'm, it's okay if I talk about this, like, okay. And, and then that way they, they open up a little bit more. So it actually reminds me when I was in college as every college student does where they look, how can I make some extra money on the side? Like, can yeah. I sell my panties? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's an easy form of income. And I remember almost doing this one, but it was a guy somewhere in like Brooklyn or Queens who had a foot fetish and all he wanted to do was like lick shoes on women's feet. And his oh. offer was that he would buy you a pair of Louboutin pants. <gasps> If he just let you, like, lick them and, like, step on them or something. And I was like, I really want those shoes. Oh, my God. I ended up not doing it mostly because I didn't want to go to a random person's house in, like, Brooklyn that I didn't know. No, yeah, that's fair. But it was enticing. Yeah. <laughs> I might have done that if I had friends that I was comfortable. You could have FaceTimed him, you know? Be like, hey. This was when I was in college, and that was less of a common thing. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that. That's totally understandable. One other question that I have here. We touched on it briefly earlier, but so, you know, as we're all having sex, we did an episode on, you know, STDs and Mm -hmm. and, uh, safety and health and all of that. Because obviously that's very important, especially for people in non-monogamous relationships or polyamory. You know, you have more sexual partners. And so the subject of health is always, you know, kind of something that's at the forefront of it. And I think people in the E&M community do a really good job talking about it. But regardless, like what would be your advice to people like approaching partners or potential partners about like long-term stigmatized STDs like herpes or, you know, HIV, all of HPV even. Um, Like everyone has HPV. Yeah. So do you do what, what are the things if you've had any experiences in talking to people about that, that you recommend? Actually, weirdly enough, COVID has been a really great jumping off point for just talking about health and safety. Mm -hmm. I always say before, I mean, you're adults having sex, like you need to just be having these conversations. If you have an STD that is something that you can't get rid of, Mm -hmm. you need to be communicating that to partners. Destigmatizing it for yourself first, educating yourself, because a huge thing is you are likely going to have to educate someone else on like, hey, I have herpes. Hey, I have HIV. No, it cannot be spread in these ways. If we take these precautions, this is, you know, roughly how safe we are in these ways. How do you feel about that? You just kind of got to not shy away from it. You got to have those conversations earlier rather than later. You do not want to be naked and be like, by the way, (laughs) I have herpes. I do not have an active breakout. Are you okay with that? Because they're just going to panic and be like, yeah, have too much information to process. You just want to say like, hey, by the way, before we're sexual. And I also think that is a great time to talk about pregnancy, which mm. people really don't talk about. In accidental pregnancies, you can be as safe as you want. You can be in birth control and using condoms and doing these things, and you can still get pregnant. Mm-hmm. You need to have that conversation of what might happen if there is an unexpected pregnancy mm. before you do it. Because especially for men, their their ability to consent to a child 
happens at penetration. So they need to be fully informed before they take that step. It's like, hey, if I were to get pregnant unexpectedly with your baby, I think I'd want to keep it. How do you feel about that? I don't want abortion for myself. He needs to know that (laughs) before he's doing that. So just having this conversation of sexual health and choices and consent is just do it early. That's really fair. I never even thought of that, honestly. Yeah. Well, actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because I I had a guy once that was – very adamant about having that conversation due to past experiences so before we ever touched each other he was like what would happen if we accidentally got pregnant and I'm like this is what I would do and you know how do you feel about that and he was like perfect that would be the the plan that I take as well or whatever so which a lot of it had to do like you know plan b trying to Mm -hmm. do everything we could prevent it so I appreciated that he did that because I was really the only guy that ever done it Mm-hmm. Out of God knows how many men that I've encountered, the only one that actually like had a discussion with me about it. I always like to have, discuss STDs with people, you know, what their safety practices are, the last time they got tested, you know, how often they use condoms with people. I'm very adamant about that. And the more you have those conversations, the easier mm-hmm. they get. But I had not really thought about pregnancy. Yeah. I always just drop the, hey, this is what I would do. Like, I'm not ready for a child right now. However, I reserve the right to change my mind. Yeah. If I was actually pregnant, because you could say always like hypothetical. Yeah. And then if you actually feel and you're like, ooh, no, I want to keep it, like you need to communicate that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I like that. And you know, I think it's really important to educate about STDs, going back to what you had said about that, because I think if more people educated themselves, there would be a lot less stigma around all of it. Mm-hmm. For example, especially herpes, just because that's one of the I remember I used to have like this huge fear against herpes because I read on Cosmo once that this girl was like, this guy went down on me and now I have herpes. And like, I didn't know. The transfer rate is not super common. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It it really isn't. And so, but I remember like I freaked out in that moment because I'm like, oh my God, you know, there's no protection when you go down on someone. Mm -hmm. Because most people I mean, unless you use a dental dam. Yeah, but who... Most people aren't. I was going to say, who uses dental dams? No one really does. Or, like, blowjobs. conversations about (laughs) protection. It's true. Like, condoms during penetrative sex, like, you know, a lot of... Gloves during fingering. No one uses that. No one is... And also, people are not putting a condom on for oral. Yeah. Exactly. Like, no one wants to... Have you ever tasted a condom? It doesn't taste good. I did once. Yeah. Well, they make flavored ones, but also those suck yeah there's still like a bunch of rubber in your mouth yeah, no yeah. yeah so when I read that that article I was like I I need to understand what this is mm-hmm. so I did a bunch of research on herpes um and this was back when I was like in my early 20s because again I was like freaking out about it because I realized that like I, there's no way to protect myself mm-hmm. during oral or that preferred methods to protect myself so anyways the more I I read about it I'm like this is just kind of a glorified skin condition mm-hmm. that like it, some people are completely asymptomatic. Some people, they get one, you know, outbreak, whether like a sore on their genitals or on their mouth and like that's it. Some people get them a little bit more common, but you can take medications, you can do mm-hmm. other things. But it really is just a skin condition. It doesn't affect mm-hmm. your health in any other way. When I yeah. learned that, the virus, what happens is, so it enters your body mm-hmm. and where it entered your body is where you get the sore, right? And then it travels mm-hmm. to your spine and it lays dormant there just to sleep. And then when something triggers it and it gets upset, the virus goes back to where it came from and the sore appears. Mm. So like that's something that I had learned when I was doing my research on it. And I was like, I don't know why, but I had just had this like cute little visual of like this little thing like (laughs) sleeping in your spine and then coming out. Yeah. When I learned that, I pictured it as like a little slithering bear. Yeah. 
weirdly enough, with just like do 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 do, and then he goes, and then it's like, yeah, okay, I'm going back to my little dungeon, and then yeah. just well, and also like so many people have oral herpes. I I have freaking cold sores. Yeah, and I've had them since I was a child, long before I was sexually active. Yeah, probably from like sharing a drink with my mother who has them. Or yeah, something. Like, your children can get it from birth or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and so like I always just tell my partners, I was like. By the way, I get cold sores sometimes. If I ever have a cold sore, which I'll get like one or two a year, usually when the seasons change for me or under like really stressful times, like we just don't kiss, we don't do any oral yeah. on you. you. You you can go down on go, you. Yeah, you know, exactly. I'm you could that's safe, but yeah. I'm just not going to be putting my mouth yeah. on these areas of your body. Well, and another thing about is just understanding how they're transmitted, educating mm-hmm. yourself on how they're transmitted. For herpes, it's when you have active sores, but even like HIV and HPV, mm-hmm. it's only when the virus is like live and, and I guess like transmitting is like when you have the possibility of, of yeah, catching. We still don't have yeah. tests for men for HPV, do we? I don't, not necessarily. That's so annoying because they're the ones who transfer it anyway. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing, like most people have it and then are completely asymptomatic or even if someone like gives it to you, a lot of times you're your body will naturally mm-hmm. kind of just get rid of it and then either like if it fights it off and you're good or if it doesn't then you know there are so many strains and they have so it's many different things yeah exactly so get that guard still shop because it protects against the most cancerous ones yeah and now they've um increased the age range on it but i just i, I wish more people took the time uh, and to learn about it because i feel like when i did that that's when it took away a lot of the fears for mm-hmm. it like obviously i'm still going to take my health seriously and obviously i'm still going to you know do everything i can to remain healthy but there shouldn't be so much like fear and stigma around them because mm-hmm. a they're part of life b it's like other things that we have to deal yeah. with like covid or bronchitis or whatever and so like we, we shouldn't treat people as if like you know if they've ever had an std or they have one or they have a conversation with us about it that suddenly like they're gross and we shouldn't touch them yeah. or anything specifically like that. with stds there's a very big like moral component or like yeah. a character component that because you got sick with something that that is somehow a reflection of who you are as a person and we yeah. don't do that for anything else you're not going to judge someone for i mean other than maybe covid right now but you're yeah. not going to judge someone for getting the common cold the flu the chicken pox your brain would never go they're a dirty gross disgusting person well i think that concludes a lot of the questions that i had at least in regards to all of this and yeah any final questions cami or any- i really liked this conversation <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> i'm in love with it honestly so no I, i'm very i definitely learned a lot there are things that i want to go do like this body mapping yeah i really want to think about if i have any red areas I know my husband right here in mm-hmm. the throat, right here. If I touch it, yeah, I used I used to have yeah. red areas of like neck and stuff that I didn't like touch, stomach I didn't like touch. Now I'm fine. Interesting. Yeah. So I've definitely learned a lot. I hope for anyone listening, whether monogamous, non-monogamous, whatever form of sexuality you practice, I hope you gain something from it as well. And we definitely thank you for coming on today. Happy to be here. So <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> Well, thank you everybody for tuning in. Come back next time. Don't forget the condoms, okay? Talk. Talk about sex. Yes, talk about sex, please.